Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 1 through 12. If you want to follow along in your Red Pew Bible, it's on page 688. Now hold on to your seats. 
Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This is no, it is not this the fast that I choose to lose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to live in. The word of the Lord.
choir. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Judy. Will you pray with me, please, now the words of preparation, which are printed in your bulletin and in your digital bulletin. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. African-American poet Lucille Clifton wrote, they ask me to remember, but they want me to remember their memories, and I keep remembering mine. In this Black History Month, we will be lifting up African-American composers, lyricists, poets, and musicians, and their prodigious contributions to faith and music. And I'm beginning this morning with the story of Lucy E. Campbell, born in 1885. And though she's sometimes referred to as the mother of gospel music and penned over 100 hymns, her name and her legacy are not as well known as they should be. In fact, how many of you had heard of Lucy Campbell before this morning? A couple, okay. Good, good that there are more than, more than uh, uh, zero yet. <laughs> we all need to know of her story. It's important that we who stand in her legacy and the experience of faith brought to music that she gave us, that we remember and know the life she lived. Black Liturgy's creator, Cole Arthur Riley, whose book we'll be reading during Lent, has written, the oppressor can never be trusted as historian. Our task is preservation. Collective memory is liberation practice. In consciousness of these words and my white skin, and in acknowledgement of the truth in Lucille Clifton's verse about memory, my sources for this sermon are from the black community, and in particular, an article written by Lavinia George on Lucy Campbell in the journal The Black Perspective on Music, and original research using Campbell's own speeches and writings published in a thesis presented by Roderick Vester as part of the degree requirement for the Master of Music at the University of Memphis, Memphis being Campbell's home territory. Through their eyes and reflections grounded in the black church, a portrait of giftedness and gift emerges, presented with joy and pride. At the same time, I want to acknowledge that sharing a biographical history posthumously is a bit like offering a eulogy, and a eulogy that only lifts up the laudatory aspects of a single life and fails to acknowledge the challenges or all too human aspects of a person's character, does not do service to the complex memory of a real person. And though I'm not black, I am a woman and have lived as a leader in a church that has not always acknowledged my humanity as a lesbian. And so I bring that lens to some of the more conflicted aspect, aspects of Campbell's story, which I will share. 
But make no mistake, Lucy Campbell was a woman who moved people with the force of her conviction, intelligence, and giftedness, and left a legacy that runs through church and gospel music, and even popular music today. If you're familiar with the artist Kebmo, the, the uh, song that we sang um, as an opening hymn, Something Within, was redone with him, by him just a few years ago. Lucy E. Campbell was born in 1885 in Duck Hill, Mississippi. She was the youngest of nine children to parents Burrell and Isabella Wilkerson Campbell. Her father worked for the railroad and her mother's practice was to walk to the train station each day and bring his lunch. And on one of those trips, Campbell's mother went into labor and Lucy was born in the caboose. One of her biographers wrote that she loved to tell this story because she felt it emphasized her uniqueness. Both of her parents had been enslaved before the emancipation during the Civil War. And two years after her birth, Campbell's father was killed in an accident on the railroad and her mother moved the family to Memphis. There, Campbell would learn to play the piano while listening into her oldest sister's, uh, whose name was Laura's, lessons. The family didn't have uh, the funds to give lessons to all of the children, but Lucy was not to be deterred. And uh, she attended the Memphis public schools. And the story is that on her way to school, she would do the fingerings of the piano lessons in the air. She graduated at 14 as valedictorian of her high school class. And in a time when a college degree was not required for high school teaching or public school teaching, Campbell immediately became a grammar school teacher upon her graduation. And then 12 years later, she began teaching at Cortrecht High School, now known as Booker T. Washington High School, one of Memphis's two black high schools, which was also her alma mater. At Cortrecht, she spent many unpaid hours tutoring students after class, she required morning devotionals as well as after devotional, afternoon devotionals, which were infused with scripture, hymns, spirituals, and prayer. This was not a formal part of the curriculum, but an aspect of Campbell's pedagogical approach. She was known to pray for her students and encourage them in every possible way. Her students recalled that she taught black history before it was popular to do so. And she taught at Cortrecht for, 40, for the next 43 years. Teaching was Campbell's primary vocation and she saw education as a powerful force for social change. She said music was her avocation. The relationships she formed through music, coupled with her strength, dignity, and vision for how things should be, were avenues through which she pursued civil rights for African Americans and women. In 1916, at the age of 31, she became one of the most influential women in black sacred music when she assumed the position as the director of music for the National Black Convention, Inc. In the research, there was quite a complicated history about the, the forerunner organizations to the National Baptist 
Convention, uh, USA Inc. And, and, it, and the USA Inc. are necessary parts of that title because there were splits and mergers. It made, made me feel a little bit better about what's happening in the United Methodist Church at this, at this moment. In 1919, Campbell founded a group on Beale Street, a, a group of female musicians known as the Music Club, which became affiliated with the Federation of Colored Women Musicians. And it also in 1919, she wrote her only secular songs, Please Let Your Light Shine On Me, and Are They Equal in the Eyes of the Law? She wrote these in, um, in coordination with a friend of hers who was uh, um, an officer in the army, and these, these two pieces expressed the anger of black members of the armed services at the prejudice and discrimination remaining in America after World War I. Roughly a decade before, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Lucy Campbell refused to give up her seat in the whites-only section of a Memphis streetcar. Campbell produced music in a wide range of styles, including gospel. She created musicals and pageants and conducted choirs that included over a thousand voices. In 1926, at the age of 41, after 15 consecutive summer sessions, she received her bachelor's degree from United Methodist related Rust College in Mississippi. And in the 30s, she began to receive invitations to take part in national political gatherings, such as the Conference on Negro Education and the Negro Child Welfare Conference at the invitation of, Frank, of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In 1951, at the age of 66, she earned a master's degree from the Tennessee State University and was then made associate director of the State College Extension Branch in Memphis. All of Lucy Campbell's accomplishments are impressive, but even more so given the tremendous discrimination based on gender and race of the time. And while there is some record of her achievements, what I really wish is that we knew more about the full landscape of Campbell's life. What was it like to grow up in Reconstructionist Memphis? She was born in 1885. And where there were 41 black churches, and, and in that time, 39% of the population of Memphis was African American. Um, Memphis was also the home of renowned journalist Ida B. Wells. And Memphis was the, uh, the and its environs, was the home of five of the 14 member, black members of the Tennessee General Assembly. Like this milieu is, is, is something that I wish that we had so much more written about. Did, did Lucy Campbell know Ida B. Wells? I, I think she probably did, but I couldn't find any evidence of it in my research. And yet Memphis was also a turbulent uh, place with violent attacks against African Americans, which prompted Wells to encourage black citizens at one point to leave the city. Sadly, there is so little recorded to give us insight into Lucy's reflections on her own context. One of Campbell's biographers termed her a loner and noted there are many aspects of her life 
that are unknown even by those who knew her best. For instance, the E in her name in most places is recorded as Edie, in some places Eddie, and in other places Edith. And so in, in this message, I'm just using the initial E, which is uh, what often her biographers did as well. She remained unmarried until the age of 75. And she, she did marry um, Reverend Williams, C.R. Williams, who was her, her longtime uh, kind of collaborator in, in music and publishing. Um, but at the age of 75, what, you know, what was the reason? 70, that, that was the point they decided to get married. And it, and it was only two years later that she died. She was a close friend of the well-known and formidable Nanny Helen Burroughs, president of the Baptist Women's Convention. Both women, uh, Campbell and Burroughs, were known to be often at odds with ministers they worked with. They were both orators of amazing skill and they were much sought after. Um, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand in a pulpit and preach um, because women were not allowed to do that, but basically that's what they were doing. And there was some suggestion that their frequent conflicts uh, with ministers had to do with threat these ministers felt due to their popularity and capacity. Lucy was a member of at least five different churches in Memphis in her adult life, including a stint of over a decade during which she was a member of no church in spite of being a figure on the national music scene for the Black Baptist Church. This lack of detail, of course, is an aspect of what scholar and activist Kimberly Crenshaw refers to in her early article, Mapping the Margins on Intersectionality and the Violence Against Women of Color. In the crush of dominant identities vying for space on the historical page, the nuanced history of Lucy's life has been lost. And yet there are clues in the lyrics of her songs and in the lines of the pageants she penned. Perhaps her best loved hymn is the one that we'll sing next. It's called, He Understands and He'll Say, Well Done. It was said that she wrote this hymn after one particularly difficult church conflict that resulted in her membership being withdrawn from the church. I can't even imagine how that could be affected. It's actually, it would not happen. It's not allowed to happen in a Methodist church. But at that time, um, in a congregationally based polity, um, that was allowed, and, and as a result of this, congre this congregational conflict, her membership was withdrawn. And I wonder, when she penned this hymn, if it was more than just that one particular church conflict she was referring to, but the totality of a life that was not legible to a white, male-dominated world. In a world where we all hope to be legible, to be understood, to be valued and honored in the, in, in, in the depth of our humanity, to be valued for our commitment, our strength, our, our perseverance, our faith, in 
in this world where we can understand that desire, Campbell leaves us with this gift. Though we may never know all we would hope to know of her story, what we do know is that Jesus will understand and will say, well done. And so let's now sing this hymn, her most beloved hymn. He'll understand and he'll say, well done. The words are in your insert. Let's hear Lucy's voice as we sing. Amen.
been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.
Thank you.